Greetings, God's beloved. Thanks for tuning in to Messages of Hope, the sermon podcast from Living Hope Lutheran Church in downtown Las Vegas. Our reading today comes from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 13, and our preacher is Pastor Matt Metavellis. Thanks for listening. Share this message with someone that they may be blessed as well. Peace be with you. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So, uh, it's kind of cold outside, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, I cannot stand the cold, but you know what I hate worse than the cold? The heat. heat. Right. Right. It gets nasty hot over here. So, I was, uh, I I, uh, work as a chaplain for a hospice, and my territory covers everything from Rainbow Road all the way to Boulder City, north to Trop. They keep changing it, but that's what I got to drive across. So I'm in my car about two hours every day. So I count on my phone to provide me with podcasts and with music, whatever song I want, really can't complain. But there was one day I was listening to music after I dropped Jeremiah off at daycare in July, and all of a sudden the music stopped. So I pulled over because this is important. And uh, I looked, and you ever see your phone when it has those, like, it looks like those, those screens on the old Star Treks when something would get broken? Yeah, the phone was broken. Uh, yeah, and it also was, like, burning my hands as I touched it. And uh, so my phone was out. I was in acute uh, crisis, and Verizon wouldn't send me a new one because they're like, oh, just do a factory reset or whatever. And I was like, no, you don't understand. This this phone is uh, fried. And um, I, so I had a problem. Uh, so sorry, Pastor Jason. I can't stand terrestrial radio and, you know, desert Honda, right? I can't listen to normal radio with commercials, and uh, I'm a big NPR fan, but there's only so much NPR I can do in a day. So I, uh, I had this massive problem. So you know what I did to solve it is I went to the library, and like a caveman, I got out books on CD. <laughs> Because luckily, <laughs> luckily my car is old enough that it has a CD player in it, and I just started uh, listening to books uh, while I waited for a new phone. I actually ended up enjoying it quite a bit, so I did this for a couple months. But uh, and I found myself listening to, uh, you know, in in the day I can't listen to you know nonfiction, so usually it was fiction. Uh, the more cinematic, the better. So I found myself listening to a lot of, you know, David Baldacci. And, uh, you know, Tony Hillerman, uh, for those of you who know who he is, right? All these kind of mysteries and thrillers. And I really enjoyed them a lot. It was a lot of fun. It was a nice change of pace. But it was kind of hard with the mysteries and thrillers because there was a time in my life when my dad was sick and he loved Law & Order. So I would sit and watch Law & Order with my dad and I just learned about mysteries. Like on Law & Order, you know how to spot the murderer? It's usually the first person they talk to saying, oh, this is such a tragedy. It's so sad. And then they like think that it's something else. And then they find a clue. They're like, wait a minute. It was her the whole time. Right. So uh, that actually is in a lot of mysteries or if the character doesn't have a lot of words. And I got really good at spotting uh, who the moles were because there wasn't a lot of characterization. Right. Liberal Arts College uh, listens to books, I guess, is the story of this. Uh, But I really wasn't able to enjoy these books as much as maybe if I could suspend my disbelief. And if any of you 
no uh, mysteries or thrillers that don't follow those formulas, uh, please let me know or just let me know what your YouTube channel is. Uh, I would love to hear it. But the reason that I could not enjoy these books was because it was too easy for me to spot how it ended. Right? Doesn't that take a lot of joy out of it for you, parents that are... Um, Parents that are busy hiding gifts in your house right now, right? <laughs> right. But were you kind of the ones as kids that that did the full search? Yeah, we were, we were successful a couple times, my brother and I, right? That takes some of the joy out of it, right? When you know what you're getting, when you know how it ends, you can't really enjoy it the way that you can enjoy a genuine surprise, right? And like. You know, I'm not trying to say that life is an M. Night Shyamalan movie, but there was something about that first uh, Sixth Sense, those of you who are old enough to see it, when the twist came at the end and it was truly a twist. And then ever since, he's been trying to replicate that in his career and it's been crashing and burning. If you're watching, I'm so sorry, Mr. Shyamalan. (laughs) But there is something in joy that comes when we don't know how something ends and when we're genuinely surprised. Now for ancient Israel, they endured a calamity and they thought that's how the story was going to end. At one point in Israel's history, David received a promise from God that his throne would last forever. And just a few hundred years later, after the kingdom had split into two, and the southern portion of it finally fell to the, uh, to the Babylonians or the Chaldeans, the Israelites looked around and thought that the story was over, and that it was sad, like some French art film or some Eastern European uh, post-war movie. They thought that's what they were watching. If you get a chance, read Psalm 89. It's a song of lament where they, where they cry out to God. God, you have renounced your covenant. Translation into modern English. God, you've broken your promise. David's crown is in the dust. This kingdom has been taken over. They thought it was in that sadness that the story had ended. Now, stories back then were even more formulaic than Hollywood is today. Usually, stories were what we now call epics. Right? We still get these a little bit uh, in, our, uh, in our movies uh, from Marvel and in our attempts at this from DC. We get, we get stories of somebody who's a hero, maybe an unlikely hero, and rises up to conquer and to build a kingdom. Maybe... Uh, in the Middle Ages, they would have told stories about somebody like Beowulf. And in the time of the ancient Israelites, maybe they would have known the story of Sargon. But all of these stories had the same end. Somebody comes, rises up, conquers, 
and then we live happily ever after. And that's why the Israelites didn't have joy. Because they thought that the story ended, and they thought they knew the plot of every single story. But God comes, in what you just heard this morning, to interrupt them. God says, your thoughts are not my thoughts, and nor are your ways my ways. Real short translation, I'm a better writer than you are. <laughs> I know how to do a plot twist. And so this is what God does for the Israelites in this plot twist. And by the way, whenever God says your thoughts are not my thoughts, or God talks about the thoughts of humankind, he is not doing probing psychological work. In Hebrew, the word for thought quite literally means plan. Right? The Israelites had a plan. Well, David's kingdom is in the dust. God, you're a liar and a promise breaker. Maybe we did something wrong. Uh, you know, they wrote like a song maybe Adele would sing. And, and they, uh, <laughs> they said, well, this is how it must be. We're just kind of lost. We're a broken people. And God said, no, 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 no. Let me rewrite this story for you. Sure, I'm going to raise up a hero, but not the one you think. I'm going to raise up a hero, and his name is going to be Cyrus. He's not going to be from one of you. He's going to be with this far off, another conquering people named the Persians. And Cyrus is going to rise up. Uh, Xenophon wrote a really great uh, history of Cyrus. If you ever want to read it, called Anabasis. Anyway, that's my plug. Uh, he's been dead for thousands of years, so I don't get any uh, roll down or endorsement money, but it's a great book. But anyway, so uh, Cyrus comes and conquers Babylon and says, you know what? I'm going to send you home. You can have your kingdom back. You can have your home back. You can have your peoplehood back. You can have your identity back. Just, you know, uh, make sure that you uh, pay taxes and, and uh, fight the people I tell you to fight. But <laughs> that's the good news. The Israelites are going home. The promise has been kept. But God said, I am not done. There's a post-credits scene coming here. And we read about it and we hear it in these words today. Right? Whenever you see in the Old Testament or the New Testament uh, that word, uh, it's translated here for some reason, ho. I don't know if it was for Santa, but sometimes it gets translated, behold, Right? Anytime behold is said, this is what it means. God is going to do a new thing. So the Israelites are told that this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring you home. I am going to give you your uh, nation back. And then all of the other nations, and you can imagine the Israelites saying, yeah, we're going to be strong and powerful, right? No, God says, here's what you're going to do. Instead of conquering the other nations, you're going to welcome them. I'm going to throw a party in Jerusalem and people from the ends of the earth are going to flock to you because I, through you, am going to show the world what a good God I am. So this is what joy is. 
It is whatever God shows up in the midst of brokenness to throw a party. And this, by the way, is a party. Not the way that church people think about it, right? It's not just a potluck. It's a party. There's rich food, right? All of your diets, not today. There is wine and milk and bread and water and things that will actually satisfy you. And I'm sorry, Ayn Rand, not that you're in heaven anyway, but even the people without money, even the moochers, can come and eat and drink their fill. I'm so sorry, I shouldn't judge Miss Rand's salvation, but I know your forgiveness is great, Lord. But everyone, we're going to get letters from libertarians now, everybody is invited to this great festival that God builds not at the end of time, but one that God throws in the midst of brokenness and conquest. And so that's what we're waiting for. That's what we're celebrating this Sunday, the feast that God throws in your brokenness. There was uh, one time I was in Marie Callender's, uh, either before or after I went to church to, to work on something, and I, and I heard familiar voices. And on Sunday morning, I didn't realize this, but the grief group I ran at Nathan Adelson, they all got together at Marie Callender's every Sunday morning in the midst of their brokenness. They were throwing a party, and they were being very, very loud. I, I, uh, I usually dismiss that energy in grief group, but, but they were being very loud together. It was such a beautiful vision to me of who, what God is doing. So wherever it is, wherever that brokenness is, and we ask, where is God? I'll tell you, he's party planning. He's throwing a feast. God's setting a table. God is inviting people from far and wide to come because that's what the goodness of God is. And that party that God is constantly throwing in the world, the name is Jesus. It's a child that is coming into this world to celebrate wherever there is pain, wherever there is strife, wherever there is brokenness. And that's why we have joy. We don't have to wait for it. We don't have to wait until... Christmas to say Merry Christmas because that joy is coming. That joy is changing us. That joy is calling out to us. Listen to Isaiah. It's never, well, you know, at the right time when everything happens. It's right then and there. Joy is coming. A party is coming. A child is coming. We lived this in our own family. I'm sharing this with Marissa's permission. Her parents uh, got divorced when she was about two or three years old, and she had the very uh, strange reality of her parents living on the same street in Long Island, and she would kind of shuttle back and forth between their houses. And there was one day where her father and his new family moved to Florida, and that really shattered her. Yes, I'm almost done, Lord. That really shattered her. And there was bad blood between them ever since. And misunderstandings and arguments. It had gotten to a really difficult stage around the time that we got married and her father was not at our wedding. And we went through years where they didn't speak. But after Noah was born, Marissa sent a message saying, Hey, you have a grandson. 
And almost right away, was it a phone call? It was a phone call. Hey, we'd like to come out and meet him. And there have been so many tables where that reconciliation has happened. And I am so thankful that my, uh, that my boys have such a wonderful grandpa in their lives. A child came. Things changed. There was celebration. God is setting a table. Amen. Amen.